Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Philippians chapter 4 with me, if you will, this morning. Philippians 4. We continue today in our study of the book of Philippians. I told you last week that we were going to have a two-part series, a two-part message, if you will, uh, on this, uh, this passage of Philippians 4, uh, verses 5 through 9. And so uh, today we continue in that. We actually, unfortunately, because we had so much going on last week with our anniversary Sunday and, and all that uh, was a part of our service last week, I didn't get to finish my message last Sunday. And so uh, today I, I endeavor to, by way of introduction, lead you back into the text from last week, quickly cover uh, what I didn't cover, and then go to the rest of the, the truth here and the rest of the passage that I want to, uh, I believe the Lord has given us. We've been in this study of the book of Philippians now. This is our, this is the 21st message, and so we've been in this now for, oh, almost six months. And uh, the whole theme of this book is that the Christian, the Christian is called Uh, The Christian is enabled in his life to experience Jesus. My fear always is that we, we experience the saving work of Jesus, but our our everyday life is void of experiencing the life of Christ in us. Do you know that when you got saved? You received all of Jesus. You received all of Christ. You received all that Christ has. The only thing you did not get, you did not get a perfect body on the exterior. But you received what the Bible calls the new man. The new man. And that new man is literally Christ in us. It is Empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the life of Christ. It is the implications and the blessing of the gospel lived out in us every day. That is available to you. Philippians tells us how that practically plays out. Ephesians 1, 2, 3 give us a lot of the theological of how that shapes us. Philippians is more of You've experienced Christ. Now let me tell you what Jesus wants to do in you. Now how many of you, if I asked you, man, would, if you knew that Jesus could totally give you what Jesus wants to give you, you simply have to submit to his work in you. How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you go, yeah, give me that. I want that. Here's how we heard it last week. That because Christ is in you, you now can experience the peace of God in your life even when all around you is not peace. This morning the Lord made me to marvel, and this is not a political statement. The Lord made me to marvel in this fact that there are Christians over in Syria who although there is turmoil all around them, had the peace of God ruling and reigning in their heart this morning. 
Christians in Western society missed their bus, sat behind a red light too long, and they come in all frazzled. Isn't it amazing what the peace of God does? And I just say to us today as a church that peace is available. It's not God going, God's not hanging out a little, you know, a little dangling before you a little, some fruit and saying, come on, grab it if you can. You keep reaching. He pulls it away. God doesn't do that. God's not playing hide and seek with you. Right? God is not going, I've got peace, but you're not getting it. Nope, do this first, do that second, do this third. But what Paul does tell us in this text is that there is a gospel pattern that is in our life, that as we submit to God in these disciplines, we will begin to understand and experience that peace that is already available. So we started last week with this, with this topic, of, with this topic of, of, of understanding these things that bring peace. So we started with this gracious humility. Paul wrote in verse number 5 of Philippians 4. He said, let your moderation be known unto all men. And I explained to you last week, that moderation is not moderation like you and I enjoy it today. Of, hey, you want to eat some pizza? Well, you're going to break your diet. Just do it in moderation. That's not what that means. It's an old British word that means... That we live with a gracious humility. A gracious humility. And the Bible says, let your moderation, let your gracious humility be known to all men. i got to ask you, did you have an opportunity this week to let your gracious humility be known to people? And you go, boy, that was not me. That was all Jesus in me. Some of you were like, no, that didn't come out of me. My wife and I were away this week. We went to Disney World 15 years ago on our honeymoon. We went to Disney and it rained the whole time we were there. So we never went into the park. So 15 years later, we went to Disney World this week. And let me just say to you, Disney World is the most magical place and the happiest place in all the world except for the parents. I didn't see one smiling parent in three days. And I was laughing in my mind going, all right, Dustin, let your moderation be known unto all men. You know what we do? We let our anger be known unto all, unto all men. We let the mo- that thing that irritates us, we let that be known unto all men. If you cross that line, boy, you're going to know. The Bible says let your moderation. That the Christian in the midst of turmoil has a gracious and generous and patient humility about him that is expressed from the life of Jesus. That was last week. We keep going and we come to verse 6. Would you look there with me? And by the way, that let your moderation be known unto all men, there's a linking here between verse 5 and 6, and that is these words, the Lord is at hand. That means the Lord is always present. The Lord, if you are a Christian, the Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is always present. You don't come to church to be in God's presence. You live daily in God's presence by the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, you remind yourself of this fact that when, when all the, everything's provoking you to anger and irritation and, te- and, and tension and strife, that you remember this, that God is with me. And if God is with me, I'm all good. Got everything I need. Because I have the gospel. I have the promise of eternity. I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
I am good if I sit at a stoplight too long. I'm good. I'm good if you cut me off on the road. I'm good if you, if you say something to me that, that I might not appreciate. I'm good. You know why? Because I have God's presence with me. God's presence is a peace bringer. But that link word goes into verse 6 because he continues here, Paul does, and he says, he writes these words to this church. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's talk about careful for a moment. Another word. Another word we, we see careful as be careful. Be careful. It means take precaution. But the word here is not take precaution. Because if that was the case, they may say, don't take precaution in anything. What Paul is writing here is about being full of care. Being full of care. It's concern, if you will. It's anxiety. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to be sensitive, and I want to be clear. As a pastor, I do have a counseling certification, but I am not a psychologist. I am not a Christian psychologist. And I want to be clear that in our day, mental health is a real thing. That I want to make sure that we as Christians aren't so dismissive of real, genuine mental health needs. And I know know the, the statement on this. I know how it goes. Well, you know, some mental health is is all it's it's all this or it's all that. And I want to be clear on this. That the brokenness of our world actually calls us to take a more compassionate position. That we as Christians who understand how wrecked the world is with sin, that means the whole person is also wrecked with sin. And that means that the whole person can deal with implications of the fall. And sometimes those mean very serious mental health issues. That really, truthfully, we thank the Lord for doctors. We thank the Lord for professionals. We have some in our church. We thank the Lord for professionals who with care minister to broken people. I think that's a Jesus-honoring place of service. And so when we talk about anxiety here, we're talking not about anxiety that needs genuine care from a professional. But I do want to be clear on this. There is some anxiety that you and I live with that is self-induced anxiety. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about anxiety or concern or carefulness that a Christian lives with that a Christian actually can have victory over. It's the kind of worry that will cause us to be paralyzed. It's the kind of worry that will cause us to 
uh, to, to literally live in some kind of uh, spiritual and, and, and emotional paralysis. But this worry here, this, this worry and this carefulness that Paul writes about, he gives us the answer to this. And the word I gave you, uh, and it's not in your outline today, forgive me. I don't even know that we're going to get to that outline yet. The, the, the carefulness that we're talking about here, the answer to this is actually not stop worrying. Now, I got to be, I got to be, I got to continue in my point in this. Now, as a parent, I often say to my four children at some point, stop it. <laughs> How many of you parents know exactly what I mean? Stop it. Sometimes it could be whining. Sometimes it's, who gave you donuts and what's wrong with you right now? And there are times when I have to say to my children, right, 12, 10, 10, and 7, stop worrying. Now, if you've known me, and forgive me for making this all about Dustin Moore for a moment, if you've known me for any amount of time and you've heard me joke about traveling, you know this, that I do not like airplanes. I found myself last Sunday night sitting on an airplane next to my wife and we flew above all the storms that went across the Midwest last week. And that plane from Chicago to Orlando bounced through the sky. My wife was leaning next to me saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. And I'm going, get me off this thing. Get me off this thing. The truth is, that was just a worry, and I would tell you, and, and, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, that my general uncomfortableness with flying is me giving up control. It's me giving up control. Because truthfully, I am a control freak. I am that guy that goes, you know what, no, 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 I'll drive. Nope, I'll pay. Nope, we're going to do it at my house. Nope, we're going to do it my way. We're going to accomplish this with my plan. And when I get on an airplane, i got to say to two guys that I can't see, take me up 40,000 feet and for fun of it, bounce me to another city. And I said to my wife, driving to see her mom down in Florida this week, in a car that we rented, I said, I'm tempted to take this car to Chicago. Now, I, I, there are legitimate, pe legitimate fears and worries that people have, and I get that. But sometimes the worry and fear that we have is because we want to make sure that we control. And I appreciate the words of Albert Barnes. He says when he talks about this kind of a worry, that he says that is, this worry is to be not anxious or solicitous about the things of the present life. And the word here does not mean that we are to exercise no care about worldly matters, that we're not to care, uh, we're, we're, that we no care to preserve our property, that we're not to have care to provide for our families, but that there is such confidence in God as to free the mind from anxiety and such a dependence on Him as to keep it calm. Here's the point of this. The, the, the opposite of carefulness is confidence. 
But Paul does not say the confidence lies in us. Paul does not say you need to be confident that God has put in you all that you need to to have in you to, to, to do what you need to do. That's not what Paul says. And that is a reiterated kind of psycho babble mumble jumble for our day. What Paul does say, here's the answer to worry. You ready? It's to release control. Wait a minute. I figure if I can worry and I can, and I can control and, and put my kids in the environment I want them in and tell them to do their work the way I tell them to do it and, and tell them to, to pursue this and to tell them to be specific in this area, that I can get my kids into the right high school, the right college. I can get them into the right career so they have a good job. And I become controlling over the environment. And what God says, the answer to worry, is not for me to pull the strings as the puppet master, but for me to step back and to let go and do something else. To pray. Prayer is me relinquishing control to a God who already has control. Prayer is me saying the control I think I have. See, I can't make my 12-year-old be a functioning 24-year-old, but God can. I can't make my daughter love Jesus. I can't keep her body healthy. I can't make sure that disease doesn't strike one of my kids. I can't, there are a lot of things that I cannot control, but there is a God in whom I can say, my confidence isn't Dustin Moore as a parent. There are a lot of things I can't control about this church. I can't control you. I can't control if you give it an offering. I can't control if you come to church on Sunday. And so the control freak in me goes, come on, manipulate, 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 but hear me very carefully. The gospel frees me. To say, I don't need control. I need to rest. I need to rest. Can I say to the parent who's worried about their kids today, can I tell you this? Can I say to the husband who's worried about his wife and the wife worried about her husband and the couple that's worried about a grown kid, can I just tell you this? God loves that person more than you do. Rest in that. God loves my daughter more than my wife and I do. And that's a lot of love. The safest place for me is not to worry that I'm manipulating every circumstance to make it what I think she needs. The safest place for me is in a posture before God of prayer. And saying, God, you love my daughter. God, I ask that you grab a hold of her heart. God, I ask that you lead her. God, I ask that you would cause her to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. God, I do ask that you'd protect her today as she goes to school. God, I do ask that you would cause her body to function properly and you would keep her heart beating and you would keep that blood flowing to her brain and you would keep her hands and feet functional. God, I, I ask that you protect my children. See, that right there is me saying, I can't do that. My wife reminds me of this all the time. And I'm not, this is not pessimism today. She reminds me that it's never me that she's worried about driving. It's all the other drivers. Does that make sense? She's worried about you guys. 
Do you know that I can drive as safely as possible and I can't stop somebody from flying through a, speed, a stop sign? See, here, here's the point of that. It's not to go live in fear. No, the opposite. Live fearless. That God absolutely has the ability to care. Here's, here's the, the, the way that I like to think of this as I study through this. I don't need to be careful because God is. I do not need to be careful today because God is. In fact, the, 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 the picture that I get of that is the two main specific revelation of God. It is the scripture tells me that God is and that God says, I'm not just going to write it for you in a book. I'm going to show it for you and show it to you in Jesus. And God in Christ shows me that God says your greatest worry, your greatest need, your greatest burden, I'm going to give you an answer for, and that is the answer of Jesus. And so if God will send Jesus to care for my greatest burden, I can let go of all the other burdens to a God who knows exactly what he wants to do. See, the best way to categorize worry, the best way to explain worry is this. I appreciate the words of Tony Morito when he said, worry involves imagining the future in a worst case scenario and then freaking out about it. Worry is me going, what if my kid doesn't get into that college? What if they do? And it's literally going down this path of, what if, what if they marry somebody crazy? Well, my wife married somebody crazy. I don't even know how to answer that. And I, we can what if this all day, my friends. But the truth is, and those of you that have been down this road for many years, you know, you can only bring a kid, you can only bring a person so far, and then they make their own decision. And so the answer to that is, Paul says, is prayer. These Christians in Philippi were wringing their hands. They're worried. They're nervous. What is it in your life today that is causing you to worry? What is the, the threat in your life to the peace of God? What is, what is it? Is it your job? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it unanswered prayer? Is it sickness, disease? And here's the truth about worry. The truth about worry is, worry kills joy. Worry kills joy. Do you remember the passage that we were in a couple weeks ago? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you missed it, again I say, rejoice. And so we connect Philippians 4.4 to Philippians 4.6 and 7. We're reminded of this. We're reminded... That you and I are to live rejoicing, and we cannot live rejoicing if we're worried all the time. So how do we address carefulness and worry? If you have your Bible and it's in your outline, I want to give you very quickly six remedies today to worry. Six remedies. In your Bibles, go over to, go over to the passage that ought to be ringing in our minds clearly right now, and that is Matthew chapter 6. Go to Matthew chapter 6. You don't have your outline. I think the words, we have the words, I think, for the screen, so they might be up there for Matthew chapter 6. But I want you to, 
I want you to write these down, okay? I know it's not the outline that from last week. You have the, you have, you have the outline that was supposed to be for today because that's my fault, all right? Because I talked too long. But here's the remedy according to Jesus for our worry. Matthew chapter 6. He tells us of these, gives us these six answers to worry. The first one, he says this in verse 26. Look there with me. Verse 25, I'll pick up. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So the first answer for worry is that God will surely provide for us. God will surely provide for us. That is a principle that is not simply materialistic. It's not simply about money or jobs. It is most fully shown to us in the finished work of Jesus. It is first shown to us in the garden when God provides covering, a covering for Adam and Eve. Then he provides it again to Adam or to Abraham on Mount Moriah when he provides a ram. God will provide Jehovah Jireh. God has provided Jesus. God has provided a righteous covering. Then God knows also what you need practically today. This does not though give us a license to laziness. This does not go, well I'm just not going to show up to work tomorrow. God will provide another job. This does not neglect wisdom. This embraces human discipline and character and recognizes there is always going to be things in your life to where you say, I don't know how we're going to do that. But God will provide. But God will provide. Parent, can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to not meet every demand of child rearing immediately? I don't mean don't give your kids water when they ask for water. But anytime you're at a store and they go, can I get this, can I get this? Can I encourage you to teach them a principle of prayer and the provision of God? Can I, can I encourage you to teach them what it means that God providentially will provide for us? And by the way, you might be the human vehicle and means by which as Christmas time comes, you provide what they wanted, but you teach them the principle of patient prayer. Remember, I was five years old, and I don't know why, because I never ever have worn them since. But I wanted cowboy boots. Anybody ever wore cowboy boots in Chicago? I don't know why I wanted cowboy boots, but I wanted cowboy boots. And my dad said to me when I said, Dad, can I, can I get a pair of cowboy boots? I remember the place. It's one of those conversations. I know exactly what the situation was and where it was. And my dad looked at me and said, why don't we pray about that? I'm going, why would we pray about cowboy boots? Just buy them. Right? My dad wisely was teaching me a patient lesson of saying to a five-year-old boy, pray. Pray. To teach me the discipline for when I'm a father and looking at my bills and my bank account and my kids' needs and my wife's needs and going, how am I going to do this? My dad had trained me to pray. He trained me to pray, knowing that God provides. 
Secondly, look at verse 27 verse of chapter 6. He says this, Which of you taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? <laughs> you ever tried to grow? You ever see that kid that's trying to be taller? Which one of you? Here's the point of it. Worry is useless. Worry is useless. Because you can worry about your bank account today. And worrying doesn't add a dime. In fact, it might cost you a dime. (laughs) Worry is useless. You can worry and worry and worry. And in 2019, we've got a bunch of panic and worry all around us out in the world. Everybody's worried. Everybody's panicking. Everybody's freaking out. You don't need to worry. Worry's useless. The third one here. Look at verse 31 of chapter 6. He says this in verse 31 of Matthew 6. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall you be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, I need you to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying about the Gentiles. He's not just talking about a group of people. He's talking about people who are pagan worshipers. Can I give you a very pointed scriptural principle about worry? Worrying is for pagans. It's for pagans. Worry is for people who worship false gods. Oh, hang on a minute. Why would we worry about our children? Because all too often, we actually worship our children. Why would we worry about our career? Because if we're not careful, we will worship our career. Why would we worry about where we're going to live? Because in 2019, look around Ravenswood, Lincoln Square, a lot of people are worried and worshiping about where they're going to live. See, the point of this is, this is not what Christians do. And I know that seems abrupt and callous, but worry for Christians says, basically, I'm a functioning atheist. Do you hear that? I'm a functioning atheist. Number four, verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God is aware of your needs. God is aware of your car. And God is aware of your boss. And God is aware of how much money you need to feed your family. And God is aware. I'm not saying don't. Don't put effort for that. I'm simply saying the worry that you have right now is killing the joy that is available to you in Jesus. In fact, if I was to add this to my list, which I'm I'm not, I would just say it like this. Worry takes our eyes off the gospel. Worry, hear me, makes that which we worry about, that is the gospel. If I have this, it'll be good news. If I get this, it'll be good news. If, my, if, if I have this promotion, it'll be good news. If my kid gets into this, this college, it'll be good news. If my, if my husband gets this job, it'll be good news. If my wife gets this car, it'll be good news. You hear the point? Worry takes us away from the true good news of Jesus. We worry because we want to rest in these things. And we rest in these things, we don't rest in Jesus. 
Number five, verse 33. God provides for those who are seeking his kingdom and that which is righteous. Righteousness. Matthew 6, 33, we all know this. This is one of those Sunday school verses, right? If you grew up in Sunday school like I did, you heard this word, this verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? All the things that Jesus was talking about. And all these things shall be added unto you. Can I just stop and just say this? And I know this is like a super pastor churchy thing to say. And that's got to be okay because I'm a pastor in church. But here's the principle. God te- Jesus teaches us like this. He says, there is something supernatural about a Christian who when they look, take everything that I've mentioned. Stay with me. Money, career, marriage, children, house, car, go through the whole list. There is something supernatural about the Christian who says, through those things, all of those things, my prayer is that we will seek first the kingdom. To seek first. That is, that is to say that that which we worry about is actually for us to be a kingdom weapon. Now here's the point. At your job, do you want, do you want God to continue to provide for you a good job? I, this is not prosperity gospel. This is just the scriptural promise of Matthew 6. Do you want God to provide a job for you? Then go to work tomorrow with a kingdom focus. Go to work with a kingdom pursuit. Do you want God to provide for you? Then when it comes opportunity for you to be generous, whether in your local church or to a brother or sister in Christ who's in need, be generous with what you have financially, money. Be generous with your car. You want God to provide for you the vehicle you want? What are you doing with your car that is kingdom focused? Again, this is not prosperity gospel. This is the kingdom pursuit of the Christian to go, no, no, I know that I have needs. I'll always have needs. And for whatever reason, God allows me to continue to have needs. And as long as he has needs, I'm going to take those needs and I'm going to go, God, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm going to use my money to take somebody to lunch today. I don't, have a, I don't have a nice house, but all of you are invited to come to my house. And I'm going to take my house, my job, my money, my, my family, and I'm going to go, We're going to be about the kingdom, all of it together. And I'm going to let God handle what God has told us he would handle. I'm not saying today to be frivolously unwise. In fact, that would not be kingdom-minded. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have worries and you have needs. Give them over to God. So coming back to Philippians 4, just in... Just in conclusion today, Paul says he gives two reasons for the believer to not be concerned and anxious. The presence of the Lord and the availability of prayer. The presence of the Lord is a reminder that he is near. And then we have prayer as a resource. And so you ask, Pastor, can I really experience a relief of my worry, anxiety, and concern through, through prayer? And I'm just going to tell you what the scripture says. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Paul says that prayer is a vehicle through which we experience God's peace. I love the quote from Martin Luther when he says it like this. He says, pray and let God worry. Pray 
and let God worry. This week, that worry pops up. That anxiety, that fear, that what am I going to do and you become a little bit frantic. Pray and let God worry. 1 Peter 5 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. That's an echoing of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 55. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Your prayers ought to be met with request and recognition. Request and recognition. Recognize and state Notice what he says there in Philippians 4. Look there with me one more time. He says this. He says, But in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I know I'm using a lot of personal illustrations this morning. One of, the favorite, one of our favorite times of the day is we pull into school. And parents, I would encourage you this. We pull into school here, so our kids go to Ravenswood Christian. And wherever your kids go, can I encourage you to pray with them before they go into school? Pull up to parent drop-off. You know that line, 75 cars long, and that family that's taking forever to get their kid out of the car? It's a good opportunity to stop and pray. A couple weeks ago, a couple days ago, last week I should say, we were in the car and we pull up, and my son, it's time for my son, and we go, we go youngest to oldest, so it comes around, and um, I won't tell you who the oldest in our family is because she cooks for me. But um, <laughs> So Tyler was praying. It's Tyler's turn to pray, and he said, Lord Jesus, be with my dad today. Help him to pass his test. I'm like, what, what, is going, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's praying, and I'm listening to a seven-year-old say some of the most random, small, what I think are arbitrary requests. Help us have fun at recess. Help Miss Camille to not be mad at me. And all these things. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm sitting there going, one of these days this boy will learn to pray. You ever do that as a parent? Maybe I'm just the only unkind parent. I, I wasn't saying that, but I'm thinking, you know, this is cute. The truth is, I think God loves that. Because he says there, Everything. I didn't know, but I had a test coming that day. And my seven-year-old prayed for me to pass that test. Can I encourage you? Don't make any matter too small for prayer. Don't make any matter too small for prayer. And then he says this. He concludes with these words. He says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. You say, explain it to me, Pastor. I can't. Tell me how this will work. I can't. Help me, help me grasp this. I can't. It passes all understanding. Yours and mine. The good thing is it doesn't pass God's understanding. And he says, the peace of God which passes all understanding, and here's the words, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know what that keep looks like for Paul? It looks like Roman prison. Where's Paul? He's in Roman prison. You know what's being done? He's being kept. He's being protected. He's being guarded. 
God says through the inspiration of Scripture that peace that passes all understanding will be the security guard of your heart and mind this week. Standing before you. And listen, church, everything will try to assault your peace. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.